this, so I want to revisit some of the core principles that we're working with, because really we have to see each one of these different commandments through these two guiding concepts. The first one is this, is that God is creating a people who will join him in what he's doing. God is creating a community. God is creating a people, and, not, and a people that will be after his own heart, that are going to emulate him. They're going to follow who he is and show his character and his love to the world. The Ten Commandments are about creating that community, creating that people, giving them an ethic, one that's contrary to the culture that they're in, but one that shows the world who God is. And so God is creating a people who will join him in what he's doing, that will be after his heart. The other thing we've been really focusing on is that to be the people of God is to be the people of God. Not just something that we have cognitive agreement with, but that we are trying to pattern our lives after who God is. The people of God have been given a very specific directive. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And so we're to strive to intentionally be like how God reveals himself to be. And the Ten Commandments reveal the heart of God. They teach us what holiness looks like in action. What does holiness look like in our rest? What does holiness look like with our stuff? What does holiness look like in our families? And so there's a practical component of this that connects us to the heart of God. And so with these two principles guiding us, today we're going to take these ideas to the sixth command. And we have been kind of going out of order on all of these. And so uh, we're doing sixth this week. Next week we're going to actually uh, do eighth, I believe. But we're getting through all of them. That's the important thing. And today's is you shall not commit adultery. Like others, it reads simple, seems to be pretty straightforward, but in truth, it includes a depth and a complexity that we really need to get into and grasp and implement. And so in that, let's pray together and just ask that God would speak to us through his word, encourage us in our hearts and challenge us. So let's pray. God, it's so good to be back with our church family, to be with these men and women who are just so dear, that you love us, God, to, be, to know that we're in your presence together from the weeks that we've had and the things that we're carrying, that we can regather as your people to be in your presence and to connect with one another and encourage one another. And it's just good to be in this place. God, I thank you for how much you do love us and how you guide us, how you direct us, how you know the ins and outs of everything that we go through and everything we're experiencing, everything we long for, we worry about in all of it. I pray, God, that you would let us have an awareness of your deep care for us, of your deep concern and love for us. And I pray that we would hear that concern and love and care coming from you as we speak and look at this commandment. And so I pray that you would be speaking I pray that you would penetrate hearts. I pray, God, that you would help us to remove distractions and excuses and hear what you have to say, that, Spirit, you would move in this place. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I have done a lot of weddings as a pastor over the years. Um, I'm doing like five this year alone, which is awesome. Um, And along those lines, I've shared with before that the pastor I used to be a youth pastor under, he hated doing weddings. 
which was a really awkward thing to hear him say a couple years after he had done mine. Um, but he did not like doing weddings. Um, I remember sitting there just going, what are, you, what are you supposed to do with that? But I love doing weddings. I just want to clarify that because I have some people in here. I, I love doing weddings, I promise. There's people coming up here. I do. I promise I love them. And I have one main rule for all the weddings that I do. Non-negotiable. It has to be a part of the ceremony. There must be a moment when you covenant with one another. The vows are not just a part of the wedding. They are the central main part of the wedding. They are not some ad hoc thing that might get thrown in mid-ceremony. No, they are the main thing. It's why we're here, is to watch a couple exchange their vows to covenant with one another. A couple commits to one another to have and to hold for better and worse, for richer and poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do they part. Now, they didn't use those specific vows in ancient Israel, but people still got married. And the commitment that they made to one another was to be honored and was to be maintained. Couples were expected to be faithful to each other. One scholar, Peter N., states that God wants the physical intimacy of the marriage bond to be maintained. In the ancient Near East, to have relations with somebody other than your spouse was considered the great sin. It was the great sin, a horrendous act. In fact, this was such an effect that this was a crime that they attached the death penalty to. It says in Deuteronomy 22, if a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. The man who, the man who lays with the woman and the woman. So you shall purge this evil from Israel. Leviticus 20.10 says, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. I mean, if one of the greatest commandments is to love your neighbor as yourself, this is the epitome of not doing that. And it was seen as the great, great sin. Adultery is an evil, a crime against the family, but it was seen as also a crime against the community. Anyone who would think that this is a little dramatic clearly hasn't experienced the direct or indirect consequences of somebody committing adultery. It is horrendous, it is destructive, not just to the couple, but not just to families, but also to the community. Do not commit adultery. What is the flip of that? Be faithful. Be faithful. Why? Because we are told to be holy as God is holy. And God is faithful because God is faithful. We are also to be faithful. That's what the sixth commandment is getting at. That's what it's telling us. Be faithful as God is faithful. And so what are the implications of that right off the bat? Just thinking about commitment, thinking about faithfulness. What are the implications of that? Let's say specifically for our married couples. And we're, don't worry, singles, you're not going to get left to, uh, isolated on this. You're next. Well, for, I would say that a couple of the implications for our married couples is this. One is that you need to do the work necessary to grow your marriage relationship. 
There are a lot of suggestions out there about how to in a fair proof a marriage. Continue to date each other, have intimacy often, don't neglect them, and so on. And that is all good advice. That is all solid advice. And I would recommend that to people. However, it's also incomplete advice. Doing all of those things and others won't prevent life from being difficult. They won't prevent immense challenges. A fairy-proof your marriage won't prevent you from hurting one another. And some of those difficult things that we go through in life, experience in life, can't be dealt with by simply going on a date. Couples need to do the work of understanding one another, the work of being honest about emotions and hurts and frustrations, and doing the work of strengthening your bond. Sometimes that takes dedicated sit-down time to talk, slowing down and intentionally just being together. Sometimes it takes a mentoring couple or maybe even a mediator. Sometimes it takes a counselor. But whatever it takes, you need to do the work to strengthen that bond. It is not something that will be strong automatically. It takes work. So do the necessary work to grow your marriage relationship. The other thing I would add to that, though, is be responsible for the spouse that you are. You need to develop and strengthen your relationship with God, your identity in him. You need to take responsibility for your failures, for your struggles, and not blame them on your spouse. We need to do the work of working on ourselves, surrendering to God, making sure that we are being holy as he is holy. It's not a magic incantation to a perfect marriage, but it is a necessary foundation to live together on. And so we have to be honest about who we are and do the work necessary to go closer and stronger with the Lord and allow that to impact our relationships. What are the implications of being faithful as God is faithful for our singles? Well, I would say actually the same thing as this last thing. Develop and strengthen your relationship with God, your identity in him. You need to be okay with who you are as you and who you are in a relationship with God because marriage is not a cure for loneliness. Marriage is not a fix or a fill for the things that are happening inside. Wanting to be with somebody is a great thing. It is not anything to be ashamed of. It's awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is something wrong to think that you're lacking without a spouse. You are not. You are exactly how God has made you, and that's what you need to celebrate in. I remember when I was youth pastor, this was like my one dating advice for them all the time. You are, and it doesn't matter how old you are, because reality is this church is just youth ministry for big people. We just play dodgeball less. We're talking about the same things. And the reality is, is that you are not ready to be with somebody until you are secure without somebody. Because the potential then is to allow them to be the fix for a lot of things going on inside that God wants to heal and, and strengthen and use you. You are not lacking in any way 
because you are single. And don't let anybody tell you differently and don't allow yourself to tell you differently. Be responsible for who you are. The second thing I would say for our singles is that character and faith, faithfulness should not be optional. Character and faithfulness should not be optional. As you begin connecting with people, as you begin dating in relationships, whatever that looks like for you, take the time to really learn someone, understand them. It is inevitable that more will come out later simply because you're in a completely different relationship further as you go, but that doesn't mean that you can't learn what you can. And is the person you're connecting with a person of character? Do they love the Lord and are they going to encourage you to love the Lord? Are they affirming of who you are or do they act in different ways? Character and faithfulness, godliness should not be optional as you connect and go about relationships. We must be faithful as God is faithful. Don't commit adultery. I mean, there's literally four words there. But the reality is, is that Jesus takes it further. Jesus takes those couple words and then expands on them. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks about the command and he takes the charge and makes it more serious. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Some were interested in the letter of the law. But Jesus takes them to the heart of it. When Jesus says lustful intent here, the idea is of a hunger or a longing for someone. And the connotation here is definitely negative. There isn't anything wrong with having a physical longing, but it shouldn't be directed toward this person. Again, to clarify, physical longing is not bad. Physically desiring somebody not your spouse, though, that moves away from holiness. When the person you're looking at, thinking about, connecting with is not your spouse, but you're looking at them, thinking about them, or connecting them with them in a way that treats them like a spouse, Jesus is saying is that gets to the heart of adultery. You are not being faithful to your spouse. It is adultery because you are directing your heart towards someone else. You are directing your physical desires towards somebody else other than your spouse. And that is being unfaithful. To look at, to think about, to connect with somebody like this who isn't your spouse is adultery. And so what are the implications of that? Well, I think first off is that all of us, we have to guard our hearts and mind against emotional affairs. We have to guard our hearts and minds against emotional affairs. In Genesis, young Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. You thought you had sibling problems. He finds himself in the service of a city official in his house. And Genesis 39 explains one thing that happened to him while he was there. It says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has 
in my charge. He is, not greater in this, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness? Do you hear the language there? This great sin and, and sin against God. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. She was coming from every different angle, and Joseph constantly said, no. He was committed to be faithful to God. He was falsely accused and thrown in jail because of it. But for him, the attitude was, I'd rather be faithful to God than unfaithful, regardless of the fallout. Regardless of how this goes down, I can say, I was faithful to God. I can say I didn't commit this great wickedness. I was, I was holy as he is holy. And we must, we must follow in Joseph's footsteps. Whether you are a man or you're a woman, we have to follow Joseph's faithfulness and we also must not be like the master's wife. This is where Jesus' words are incredibly important. After the Verses 27 and 28, he says in verse 29, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, Jesus is using hyperbole here. That means exaggeration. He's using exaggeration to make a point. So the direct directive of this is not, if you are experiencing lust, you should go get a spoon and pop your eye out, all right? So please no one, do, please no one walk in here next week with a bandage over their face. That's not what's happening here. But there is an extreme reality to what Jesus is saying, is that whatever you need to do to make it where you're not going to do these things, you need to do that. Whatever the difficulty is that you need to do to not put yourself in a place where lust can happen, where emotional connections can happen that shouldn't be happening, you need to do that work. It would be better for your coworker to think that you're rude than it would be to flirt back. It would be better for you to come across like a jerk than to entertain what's being given to you or what's being tempted. You ha we have to be careful with who we are. We have to guard our hearts. And there's a reality that emotional affairs are a real thing in our world today, and they increase in consistency. And I think it goes back, especially for our married couples, it goes back to needing to do the hard work. Why are we feeling the need to go to somebody else with these emotional conversations or things that we're dealing with or whatever? Why are we not going to our wife, our husband, we need to do the work to figure that out so that we can go to them and not form connections with somebody else. Because to form that emotional connection, Jesus is saying that's adultery. And so we have to guard our hearts and mind against emotional affairs. On the same way, similar, we have to guard our hearts and minds against dwelling in unfaithfulness. Whether it's extreme things like porn or movies, or other just day-to-day -day things like what we see on social medias, people out and about, whatever there is, our eyes can potentially see quite a lot. When Jesus talks about lustful intent, he is not saying, again, like I've already said, that sexual desire is bad. 
nor is he saying that acknowledging beauty is bad. He is saying, though, that dwelling on someone in a manner which is equal to how we should be thinking about our spouse, that is wrong. That is adultery. And so our charge should be, how can I take, like 2 Corinthians 10 says, every thought captive to obey Christ. The thought that I'm having right now about someone else, would, does this make Jesus proud? Does this honor him? Does this show holiness? And if not, I need to get out of that. I need to move away from that. And I need to make some changes. It might mean deleting an app or undoing some subscriptions or whatever that is. But whatever is allowing you to entertain and dwell on these thoughts, that's dwelling on unfaithfulness. Because to think this way and continually entertain our minds in these ways is adultery, Jesus is saying. Because we're engaging somebody else, even if somebody we don't even know, in a manner in which we should be engaging our spouse. We need to do the hard work of not putting temptations before us, but work at being faithful and holy. It might, like I said, deleting apps or subscriptions. It might mean installing some internet filters. It might mean getting some counseling, getting help, whatever that is. But we need to do the work. Now, along these lines of guarding your heart and mind against dwelling in unfaithfulness, I also want to make a comment about the idea of purity culture. This idea is getting a lot of criticism in our world today, in our culture today. And I feel like in, some, in many ways it should. Uh, it was a mo- movement in the 90s and in the late early 2000s, right, when I was doing youth ministry, um, which promoted not having sex before marriage, modesty, how we view our bodies, lust, and other things. Now, let me clarify. These are not bad topics. These are not bad things to talk about. In fact, we need to talk about these things. And so the idea that the purity culture movement talked about these things wasn't a bad thing. But how they talked about them, the manner in which things were communicated, and the manner in which biblical principles were skewed, that was a problem. And that was damaging. We'll talk about sex in a moment. But when it comes to modesty, one of the big things, failures of the purity culture movement was communicating that women must dress in a certain way in order to cause men not to stumble into lust. And so usually the conversation was very one-sided. And I remember even uh, taking our youth group to camp and doing things and some of the rules kind of communicated that. The girls were talked about this, but the guys weren't. And so the, the girls were seen as gatekeepers to the guys lust that's super jacked up because here's the thing if somebody lusts you know whose fault that is the person who lusts and so no man can blame a woman for your sin if it's your sin own it deal with it ask god for forgiveness deal with those things but it's not somebody else's fault Does that make sense? And reality is that the rules go both ways. This isn't just a guy issue. This is a lady issue too, right? Some of you are laughing and nodding your head right now. That's all the confirmation we need right now. And so the rules apply to both. We need to think through how we present ourselves. We need to think through how we dress. Everybody, we need to make sure that we are guarding our own hearts 
And we are not putting ourselves in a position when we are lusting. Because the reality is if we fall into those sins, we cannot be like Eve and just change the wording to, well, but she was dressed this way. That's not how it works. We have to own our own stuff. Jesus didn't say, women, make sure to dress a certain way or so that men don't stumble. He said, everyone, men and women, don't entertain or promote lust. It comes back to holiness for all of us. How do I dress in a way that's appropriate for the situation I find myself in and honors the Lord? That should be something all of us ask and all of us care about. It's always about him. And so guard your hearts against dwelling in unfaithfulness. Don't blame others when you fall into it. Come to the grace and forgiveness of God and allow him to restore you. The last thing, thinking through what Jesus is saying here in regard to this lustful, um, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery within her heart. We have to guard our hearts and mind against emotional affairs. We have to guard our hearts and minds against sexuality, excuse me, dwelling in unfaithfulness. And last, we have to elevate sex to God's standard of holiness. Now, I've intentionally waited to the end for this one because I feel like that when a lot of people talk about this command, this is almost exclusively what they talk about and not the reality of covenant faithfulness, of being faithful people, of being people who want to honor God and be faithful to God. Yes, they can't really be separated, but they are two sides of one coin, and we spend a lot of time talking about the physical side and not the faithful side. And so I wanted to really highlight that reality first, but the other side is just the same here. We need to have a correct view of how the Bible talks about this. And I think Proverbs 5 is actually a great starting place and one that we might not think about. But Proverbs 5, the entire chapter talks about this, but I want to hone in on the end. First off, it says in verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of waters in the street, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. These verses are talking about commitment and faithfulness. There's metaphors here that we're not going to be getting into, but it's basically saying that the, the idea of sex is natural, good, and expected, but there should be one source by where you find it. Does that make sense? And so it's a word about commitment and faithfulness. It says in verse 18, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? These verses are speaking of pleasure and enjoyment. If you were to read the, so the book, The Song of Solomon in the Old Testament, you would see right away that it is at best a PG-13 book, but really rated R in others. And it's speaking, though, of the goodness of sex, the fun of it, which I know can be a little awkward to be talking about in church and saying that. I never, we actually taught on Song of Solomon a few years here, a few years ago here. We went through the whole book one summer. And the very, like, I think the, of all of the talks, like the sex talk, that was the one Sunday in probably a couple years that my mom and stepdad decided to drive in from Northwest Indiana and visit church. 
That was an awkward moment. So, um, but hey, we got through it. Um, and so regardless of that, you have to see the reality that the way the Bible talks about this is from an attitude of this is enjoyable and it's a thing of pleasure. The third thing, you keep going in Proverbs 5, for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline and because of his great folly, he is led astray. These verses speak to holiness and character. Honoring the Lord. Do we justify actions based on ourselves, following the iniquities of the land, going along with whatever the culture thinks? Or are we being disciplined? Are we honoring the Lord with who we are? Here's the thing. When you look at these three kind of pairs of word descriptions here from Proverbs 5, commitment and faithfulness, pleasure and enjoyment, holiness and character. Next slide. When we think about all, uh, one more, there you go. Uh, When we think about all of these, sex has to include all of them, not just one of them. Our culture can at times, not exclusively, but at times, minimize it to only being about pleasure and enjoyment, a self-journey into finding myself and having fun. And that's the only way that it's seen. And to add the other things on it is prudish, old-fashioned. What are you, why are you adding these things when we're just having fun? At times, the culture, though, can also include allusions to commitment and faithfulness, however, but not always in the realm of a marriage relationship. And so when one relationship ends, we go and form these bonds with somebody else and continue it going. The Bible is positive about sex, celebrates it, even teaches extensively about it. Regardless of what some would want to say, the teaching of the Bible on sex is not a handmaid's tale perspective. One, purity culture or different fundamental groups may promote that kind of thinking, But that is not what the Bible teaches. So unfortunately, we have a lot of people in our world misguided about what the Bible actually teaches on the subject because they've either seen wrong representations of it or wrong teaching of it. It is Yet sex is meant to foster the oneness which happens when people become married. It is a physical act, but it is not merely that. It is an act of intimacy which fosters relational intimacy, bonding a couple in a unique and special manner, and that is not something that should be spread around to others, but to your one. The Bible does not include shame within its discussions of sex, nor should we. It simply promotes what holiness looks like when we think about the idea of sex and says, Go in this direction. Do this wholly. You can't separate one from the others. You have to bring them all in. C.S. Lewis said, The monstrosity of sexual intercourse outside marriage is that those who indulge in it are trying to isolate one kind of union, the sexual, from all other kinds of union, which were intended to go along with it and make up the total union. We cannot separate these things out. We have to embrace them always. 
It's why Jesus says, if you look with your sexual drive, which is a thing of pleasure, commitment, and holiness, on somebody not your spouse, then that's adultery. Well, what are the implications of this then? Well, the Bible and the gospel is a message of grace, not shame. So how we think through this must be done in grace, speaking the truth in love, and not shame. The first implications of it I would give are this, is we must first and foremost ask, what does holiness look like? What does holiness look like? This is not an optional question, not just for this issue, but for all the issues. Every aspect of our life, 24-7, we should be holy as God is holy. So we should be asking in everything that we do, what does holiness look like here? And how we work, and how we engage our, num- our neighbors, and how we handle our money, and how we uh, talk and joke around, and how we... Um, Think about politics and race or whatever that is and how we talk about sex. We have to ask, what does holiness look like? Author Lauren Winner said this, Chastity is not the mere absence of sex, but an active conforming of one's body to the ark of the gospel. And that's really what we have to be asking ourselves. Regardless if you're married or single, What does holiness look like? What does holiness and faithfulness look like? And that's what we should be embracing. Second thing, make adjustments and move forward in a new understanding of God's desire for relationships. When you hear me talk about this, there's a reality that some some are going to have to make some adjustments. This is between you and God. I can't make you, and I wouldn't do that, and this isn't an issue to shame or anything. It's just the reality that God teaches this. God is saying, do this. We have to be holy as he is holy. And so you need to think through, what does holiness look like for you in your relationship? Some may need to couch it for a little while. You've made the step to moving in together, and you're experiencing things, but you're not married. Well, then you might need to couch it. You might need to move out. You might, some may need to start having honest conversations about the future of the relationship. Is it going somewhere? And if so, where? Because if not, why are we doing this? Because it can't just be about the physical enjoyment. It also has to be about the commitment and holiness. If you have someone speaking to you, ah, not a big deal, just go ahead, whatever, that person is not guiding you toward holiness. We need to be speaking the truth in what love, promoting grace, helping one another work through what it means to be godly, to encourage one another, build one another up, develop our relationships, and that has to be a thing of grace. But it's also grace speaking the truth in love. And this is just the truth that all of us have. You might have to make some adjustments to align your life with holiness. And so do the hard work to do it. Don't make excuses. For married couples, have honest conversations about your relationship, your oneness, and your lives together. Sex should complement the core of your relationship. It should not be the only thing holding it together. Again, it goes back to what I already said. We have to do the hard work. But we need, couples need to have that time 
to sit and be quiet away from the kids or away from work, away from busyness, and be able to be honest. Because I guarantee those are the seeds of dissension that come up and ruin our relationships. An, adultery, an adulterous affair is like a car wreck. And it's a big one. It's bad. It's the kind that forms gapers delay. It impacts everything. But the reality is that an accident doesn't just happen in the moment. It starts pretty far back. Somebody might have been late for work and started driving super fast. Or maybe you, had a fr- you were frustrated with the way other people were driving. So you went around somebody. And all of these small things build up. And maybe it's one person. Maybe it's the other. Maybe it's both. But that accident happens, and it's not just a, oh, man, I didn't see that one happening. There's a building to that. And the only way that you can deal with that is to start peeling back the layers. Start doing the hard work. Start having the honest conversations. Listening to understand and not to make excuses. And our, our relationships need that kind of hard work. We see time and time again conversations about how people say, you know what, How does all this idea of God's teaching, it's not like it works, Christians are getting divorced and this, that, and the other. It's not, the fact that people are doing this doesn't mean that God's teaching doesn't work. It means people aren't being faithful to God's teaching. We have to be faithful to what God says. The train wrecks that we see over and over and over again are not because God's ideas are broken, it's because we're not following God's ideas. And so we have to make adjustments. And as couples, you have to do the hard, difficult work to grow that relationship. Everyone, don't make sex an idol or the main part of your identity. We are to strive for holiness, which promotes goodness, intimacy, and strengthens the community. And this, more than anything, is the countercultural reality of how we talk about this topic in relation to our culture does. In our culture, sex is an identity or a prime experience of humanity. With God, he is our identity. He is first, and everything else is secondary. And so we have to allow our relationship with God and holiness look be the lens by which we see not only this issue but everything. Not put this issue first and see God through it. It doesn't matter if you're married or single. We can make this an idol. We can make this an idol, which means we, it gets the attention of our heart more than anything. And it will be destructive. When you make this an idol, it will be destructive not only to your individual life, but to your relationships, and it can destroy a community as well. Don't make sex an idol. C.S. Lewis said, being in love is a good thing, but it's not the best thing. There are many things below it, but there are also many things above it. You cannot make it in the basis, you cannot make it the basis of a whole life. And that's the countercultural truth, is that there's something even greater than this. And that's the love and the goodness and the life which God gives us. Guard your heart and mind against emotional affairs. Guard your heart and mind against dwelling in unfaithfulness and elevate sex to God's standard of holiness. We have to be faithful as he is faithful. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God, your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. You know what? You may be, your life story 
you may have not seen faithfulness in action. It wasn't modeled for you. And you might, like me, you've experienced the damage that adultery can bring to a family. You need to know your destiny and your life is not going to be based on the reality of your past or anything your parents do, but based on the reality of God's control, your faithfulness to him, and following him in holiness. You do not have to be like the bad models you've seen. You can be faithful as he is faithful. And all of the good and the joy and the strength that that brings to a family and a community, you can be a part of facilitating that and making that happen because you're striving to be holy as he is holy. You're striving to be faithful as he is faithful. We cannot take our hearts and give them to another. They have to be directed toward the Lord. We have to rely on his faithfulness. And really, when we think about communion, we're going to be ending with communion today. It's a reminder to us of God's faithfulness. I'm going to ask if you um, have your elements here to go ahead and pull them out. If you didn't get one, can you raise your hand and we'll have Garrett, or can you help me out? Garrett, can you pass them out? Um, We'll have a couple more come around. Just keep your hand up. Um, If this is the first time you've done communion with us on these, there's two little flaps. There's a clear one and a silver one. Pull the silver one off first so that you get the cracker, and then do the silver one when you're ready for the delicious juice. Um, Communion reminds us of Jesus' faithfulness on the cross, his willingness to go to the cross in our place so that our sins can be forgiven, the victory can over sin and death can be won. He takes our sin upon him and puts God's righteousness on us. And he was faithful to do that. He was faithful to love us. He was faithful to die in our place. He was faithful to invite us into the new resurrected life. And he will be faithful to keep his promises to you as you go about following him. And so we need to trust God when we think about these areas of our life. We need to trust God that what he is saying and the blessings that can come from it, that he is faithful to his word. And so I don't know what, how this message grips you. I don't know how it challenges you. But we always take a minute just to be in prayer before the Lord, to allow him to speak to our hearts, to allow him to encourage us or maybe convict us. Conviction and shame are not the same thing. Do not confuse them. If God is convicting you, it's okay. These things need to change. And I am a forgiving God. I'm a gracious God. Let's move. Let's go forward. He is not one that looks at you and goes, oh my gosh, you are worthless. It's not how God works. And so, but he will convict our hearts. He will remind us of what truth is. And so if that's happened today, be honest with him about it or allow him in the quiet of this moment to encourage you. But we'll take just a moment of quiet prayer and then, we'll, and then after that time of prayer, we'll receive communion together. And so God, I pray that you would be with us in the quietness of this moment. I pray you would speak to our hearts exactly the things you know we need to hear. Let's be quiet before him.
Stand with me, and we'll receive communion together. The cracker reminds us of his broken body, broken in our place. The juice reminds us of his blood shed for us, his death on the cross in our place. But he didn't just die, but three days later he rose from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death, ushering in a new life and inviting us into it. And it's re- we forget that so often. We forget this central part of our identity and how it guides us in holiness. And so we come back to be reminded of who we are and how we should live. And so God, I pray that you would encourage us. I pray that you would remind us how much you love us. I pray you would remind us of your grace. I pray you would remind us of your forgiveness. I pray you would let us know that your ways are better than anything that we could come up with or our world could come up with. God, I pray for our married couples in our church family. I pray for our singles in our church family. I pray that you would draw all of us to you. God, that you would draw us to the cross, to the empty tomb, that we would know what our identity is and live within that in holiness. Let us be reminded of grace when we fail. I pray that you would convict us and guide us in wisdom. But I pray you would strengthen who we are in our relationships because of your love. We ask all of these things in your name. Let's receive communion together. We're grateful for your broken body, for the empty tomb. We're grateful for the life that we have in you. In your name we pray, amen. If you want to just hold on to these and when we leave, there'll be a garbage can in the corner. You can drop those off. As we think about just the, the love that God has for us and how he guides us in holiness, we're going to do this last song in worship. So let's sing together.